Hello everyone, welcome back to my podcast. I am your host, Isaiah Gutierrez, and we're going to continue reading The Scarlet Letter, Chapter 13, Another View of Hester. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Okay, now without further ado, happy listening. In her late singular view with Mr. Dimsdale, Hester Prine was shocked at the condition to which she found the clergyman reduced. His nerves seemed absolutely destroyed. His moral force was abased into more than childish weakness. It groveled helpless on the ground, while his intellectual faculties retained their pristine strength, or had perhaps acquired a morbid energy, which disease only could have given them. With her knowledge of a train of circumstances hidden from all others, she could readily infer that, besides the legitimate action of his own conscience, a terrible machinery had been brought to bear and was still operating on Mr. Dimsdale's well-being and repose. Knowing what this poor fallen man had once been, her whole soul was moved by the shuddering terror which which he had appealed to her, the outcast woman, for support against his instinctively discovered enemy. She decided, moreover, that he had a right to her utmost aid. Little accustomed in her long seclusion from society to measure her ideas of right and wrong by any standard external to herself, Hester saw, or seemed to see, that there lay a responsibility upon her, in reference to the clergyman, which she owed to no other nor to the whole world besides. The links that untied her to the rest of humankind, links of flowers or silk or gold or whatever the material, had all been broken. Here there was an iron link of mutual crime, which neither he nor she could break. Like all other ties, it was brought along with its obligations. Hester Prine did not did not now occupy precisely the same position in which we beheld her during the earlier periods of ignominy. Years had come and gone. Pearl was now seven years old. Her mother with the scarlet leather on her breast, glittering in its fantastic embroidery, had long been a familiar object to the townspeople. It is apt to be the case when a person stands out in any prominence before the community and, at the same time, interferes neither with public nor individual interests or conveniences. A species of general regard had ultimately grown up in reference to Hester Prime. It is to the credit of human nature that, except where its selfishness is brought into play, it loves more readily than it hates. Hatred, by a gradual and quiet process, will even be transformed into love, unless the change be impeded by a continually new irritation of the original feeling of hostility. In this matter of Hester Prime, there was neither irritation nor irksomeness. She never battled with the public, but submitted uncomplained uncomplainingly to its worst usage she made no claim upon it in requital for what she suffered she did not weigh upon its sympathies then also the blameless purity of her life during all these years in which she had been set apart to infamy was reckoned largely in her favor with nothing now to lose in the sight of mankind and with no hope and seemingly no wish of gaining anything it could only be a genuine regard for virtue that had brought back the poor wanderer to its paths 
It was perceived, too, that while Hester never put forward even the humblest title to share in world privileges further than that to breathe the common air and earn daily bread for Little Pearl and herself by faithful labor of hands, she was quick to acknowledge her sisterhood with the race of man, whenever benefits were to be conferred. None so ready as she to give her little substance to every demand of poverty, even though the bitter-hearted pauper threw back a gibe in requital of the food brought regularly to his door, or the garments wrought for him by the fingers that could have been embroidered to a monarch's robe. None have, none so self-devoted as Hester, when pestilence stalked through the town. In all seasons of calamity, indeed, whether general or of individuals, the alchemist of society at once found her place. She came, not as a guest, but as a rightful inmate, into the household that was darkened by trouble, as if its gloomy twilight were a medium in which she was entitled to hold intercourse with her fellow creatures. There glimmered the embroidered leather, with comfort in its unearthly ray, Else, elsewhere the token of sin. It was the taper of sick chamber. It had even thrown its gleam in the sufferer's hard extremity across the verge of time. It had shown him where to set his foot while the light of earth was fast becoming dim, and the ear of light of futurity could reach him. In such emergencies, Hester's nature showed itself warm and rich, and wellspring of human tenderness, unfailing to every real demand, and extinguishable by the largest. Her breast, with its badge of shame, was but the softer pillow for for the head that needed one. She was self-ordained a sister of mercy, or, we may rather say, the world's heavy hand had so ordained her, when neither the world nor she looked forward to this result. The leather was a symbol of her calling. Such helpfulness was found in her, so much power to do and power to sympathize, that many people refused to interpret, interpret the scarlet A by its original signification, and they said that it meant able, so strong as Hester Prine, with a woman's strength. It was only the darkened house that could contain her. When sunshine came in, she was not there. Her shadow had faded across the threshold. The helpful inmate had departed without one backward glance to gather up the meed of gratitude, if any were in the hearts of those whom she had served so zealously. Meeting them in the street, she never raised her head to receive their greeting. If they were resolute, accost her. She laid her finger on the scarlet leather and passed on. This might be pride, but it was so like humility that it produced all the softening influence of the latter quality on the public mind. The public is despotic in its temper, and it's capable of denying common justice when too strenuously demanded as a right, but quite as frequently as it awards more than justice when the appeal is made, as depots loves to have it made entirely to its generosity. Interpreting Hester Prine's deportment as an appeal of this nature, society was inclined to show its former victim a more benignant countenance than she cared to be favored with, or perchance than she deserved. The rulers and, and wise learned men of community were longer in acknowledging the influence of Hester's good qualities than the people. 
The prejudices which they shared in common with the latter were forfeited in themselves by an iron framework of reasoning that made it a far tougher labor to expel them. Day by day, nevertheless, their sour and rigid wrinkles were relaxing into something which, in the due course of years, might grow to an expression of of almost benevolence. Thus, it was with the men of rank on whom their aiming position possessed the guardianship of the public morals individuals in private life meanwhile had quite forgiven hester for her frailty nay more they had begun to look upon the scarlet leather as a token not of one of sin but for which she had borne so long and dreary penance but of one of her many good deeds since do you see that woman with the embroidered badge they would say to strangers it is our hester the town's own hester who is kind to the poor, so helpful to the sick, so comfortable to the afflicted. Then, it is true, the the propensity of human nature to tell the very worst of itself when embroidered in the persons of another would contain themselves who whispered the black scandal of bygone years. It was none less the fact, however, that in the eyes of the very men who spoke thus, the scarlet leather had the effect of a cross of a nun's bosom. It imparted to the wearer a kind of a sacredness, which enabled her to walk securely amid all the pearl. Had she fallen among thieves, it would have kept her safe. It was reported and believed by many that an Indian had drawn his arrow against the badge and that the missile struck it, but fell harmless to the ground. The effect of the symbol, or rather, of the position in respect to society that it indicated by it, on the mind of Hester Prime herself, was powerful and peculiar. All the light and graceful foliage of her character had been withered by, up by its red-hot brand, and had long ago fallen away, leaving a bare and harsh outline, which might have already re- been repulsive had she possessed friends or companions to be repelled by it. Even the attractiveness of her person had undergone a similar change. It might be partly owing to the studied austerity of her dress and partly to the lack of demonstration in her manners. It was a sad transformation, too, that her rich and luxuriant hair had either been cut off or was so completely hidden by a cap, and not a shining lock of it ever once gushed into sunshine. It was due in part to all these causes, but still more to something else, that there seemed to be no longer anything in Hester's face for love to dwell upon, nothing in Hester's form, though majestic and statue-like, that passion would ever dream of clasping in its embrace, nothing in Hester's bosom to make it ever again the pillow of affection. Some attribute had departed from her, the permanence of which had been essential to keep her a woman. Such is frequently the fate and such the stern development of the feminine character and person when a woman has encountered and lived through an experience of peculiar severity. If she be all tenderness, she will die. If she survive, the tenderness will either be crushed out of her or, and the outward semblance is the same, crushed so deeply into her heart that it can never show itself more. The latter is perhaps the truest theory she who had once been woman and ceased to be so might at any moment become a woman again if there were only the magic touch to effect its transfiguration we shall see whether hester prine were ever afterwards so touched and so transfigured 
Much of the marble coldness in Hester's imp- impression was to be attributed to the circumstance that her life had turned, in a great measure, from passion and feeling to thought. Standing alone in the world, alone, as to any dependence on society, and with little pearl to be guided and protected, alone, and hopeless of retrieving her position even had she not scorned to consider it desirable. She cast away the fragments of broken chain. The world's law was no law for her mind. It was an age in which the human intellect, newly emancipated, had taken a more active and wider range than for many centuries before. Men of the sword had overthrown nobles and kings. Men bolder than these were overthrown and rearranged, not actually, but within the sphere of theory, which was their most real abode. The whole system of an ancient prejudice, wherewith was linked much of ancient principle. Hester Prine embedded this spirit. She assumed a freedom of speculation, then common enough on the other side of the Atlantic, but which our forefathers, had they known it, would have held to be deadlier crime than that stigmatized by the scarlet leather. In her lonesome cottage by the seashore, thoughts visited her, such as dared to enter no other dwelling in New England, shadowy guests that would have been as perilous as demons to their entertainer, could they have been seen so much as knocking at her door. It is remarkable that persons who speculate the most boldly often conform with the most perfect quietude to the external regulations of society. The thought suffices them without investing itself in the flesh and blood of action. So it seemed to be with Hester. Yet, had little Pearl never come to her from the spiritual world, it might have been far otherwise. Then, she might have come down to us in history, hand in hand with Anne Hutchinson, as the foundress of a religious sect. She might, in one of her phases, have been a prophetess. She might and not improbably would, have suffered death from the stern tribunals of the period for attempting to undermine the foundations of a Puritan establishment. But in the education of her child, the mother's enthusiasm had thought had something to weak itself upon, providence in the person something to wreck itself upon. Providence in the person of this little girl had assigned to Hester's charge to the germ and blossom of womanhood to be cherished and developed amid a host of difficulties. Everything was against her. The world was hostile. The child's own nature had, nature had something wrong in it, which continually betokened that she had been born amiss, the effluence of her mother's lawless passion, and often impelled Hester to ask, in bitterness of heart, whether it were for ill or good that the poor little creature had been born at all. Indeed, The same dark question often rose into her mind with reference to the whole race of womanhood. Was existence worth accepting even to the happiest among them? As concerned her own individual existence, had she long ago decided in the negative and dismissed the point as settled? A tendency to speculation, though it may keep woman quiet as it does man, yet it seems her sad. She discerns it may be such a hopeless task before her. As a first step, the whole system of society is to be torn down and built up anew. 
Then, the very nature of the opposite sex or its long hereditary habit, which has become like nature, is to be essentially modified before women can be allowed to assume what seems a fair and suitable position. Finally, all the other difficulties being abbreviated, women cannot take advantage of these preliminary reforms until she herself shall have undergone a still mightier change, in which perhaps the ethereal essence, wherein she has her truest life, will be found to have evaporated. A woman never overcomes these problems by an exercise of thought. They are not to be solved, or only in one way. If her heart chance to come uppermost, they vanish. Thus, Hester Prine, whose heart had lost its regular and healthy throb, wandered without a clue in the dark labyrinth of mind, now turned aside by insumerable peace, now starting back from a deep chasm. There was a wild and ghastly scenery all around her, and a home of comfort nowhere. At times, a fearful, fearful doubt strove to possess her soul, whether it were not better to send Pearl at once to heaven and go herself to such futurity as eternal justice should provide. The scarlet leather had not done its office. Now, however, her interview with the Reverend Mr. Dimsdale on the night of his vigil had given her a new theme of reflection and held up to her an objection that appeared worthy of any exertion and sacrifice for its attainment. She had witnessed the intense misery beneath which the minister struggled or, to speak more accurately, had ceased to struggle. She, ha- she saw in- that he stood on the verge of lunacy. If he had not already stepped across it, It was impossible to doubt that whatever painful efficacy there might be in secret string of remorse, a deadlier venom had been infused into it by hand that proffered relief. A secret enemy had been continually by his side under the semblance of a friend and helper and had availed himself to the opportunities thus afforded for tampering with the delicate strings of Mr. Dimsdale's nature. Hester could not but ask herself whether there had not originally been a defect of truth, courage, and loyalty on her own part in allowing the minister to be thrown into a position where so much evil was to be foreboded and nothing auspicious to be hoped. Her only justification lay in the fact that she had been able to discern no method of rescuing him from the blacker ruin that had overwhelmed herself, except by acquiescing in Roger Chillingsworth's scheme of disguise. Under that impulse, she she had made her choice and had chosen, as it now appeared, the more wretched alternative of the two. She determined to redeem her errors so far as it might yet be possible. Strengthened by the years of hard and solemn trial, she felt herself no longer so inadequate to cope with Roger Chillingsworth as on that night, abased by sin and half-maddened by the ignominy that was still new when they had talked together in the prison chamber. She had climbed her way since... Then, to a higher point, the old man, on the other hand, had brought himself nearer to her level, or perhaps below it, by the revenge which he had stooped for. In fine, Hester 
Prine, resolved to meet her former husband and do what might be in her power of the rescue of victim of whom he had so evidently set his gripe. The occasion was not long to seek. One afternoon, walking with Pearl in the retired part of the peninsula, she beheld the old physician, with a basket in one arm and a staff in the other hand, stooping along the ground in quest of roots and herbs to concoct his medicines with withal. All right, and that was chapter uh, 13. Now, this chapter is called... Uh, another view of hester now in this chapter we are going back to um our main character our main perspective which is hester and it's just a quick recap on how she has grown as a person throughout these seven years and how uh the scarlet letter has changed its meaning from you know adultery and sin to something that the townspeople are proud of and even look up to because of hester's acts so she has come to change the symbolism for herself and of the leather into something good and she has become a stronger person even the most powerful highly ranked men of the town look at her with a look of almost benevolence so that just shows how much hester has grown as a person but also because of all these years of you know being an outcast she's gotten used to the feeling of you know being humble looking down and not expecting much for her she's already come to accept that okay yeah uh i'm looked down upon even though even though she's not looked down upon anymore but she's still with that she's come to she accepted that and she's still living with that with that she's like okay i'll take my piece of the pie it's fine i don't i don't care anymore that even describes that um she didn't think that she was gonna that she was capable of feeling passion or love or warmth anymore but that night with uh mr dimsdale changed her perspective because she saw how badly how bad yeah how bad he was his mental state his physical state he was he was he was falling he was crumbling apart and she noticed that she knows that and since last chapter was basically a confirmation that mr dimsdale is pearl's father obviously hester and mr dimsdale they did it out of love maybe even lust and and passion but mostly love right and she she feels something she obviously feels something because towards the end of the chapter it is revealed that she she wants to help him she has deducted that there is some evil lurk lurking around him and obviously that evil we already established is old roger chillingsworth evil man ugly man anyways and she and she wants to help him so the chapter ends with her one deciding that she's going to confront roger chillingsworth because she has grown she is stronger as a person it even says that now the townspeople instead of the a standing for adultery it stands for able because 
uh, Hester rep- represents a strong woman, which is very uncommon at that time. Okay, very uncommon, and it's very inspiring. So people they look up to her now. So she has ascended in the rankings, if we're gonna put it that way, and we've seen. Um, alongside with the, t- the deterioration of Mr. Dimsdale, we also saw the, de- the deterioration of Roger Chillingsworth in like three, four chapters ago, I believe. I'm three chapters ago, four, three. Well, a few chapters ago, where they describe his appearance as like he used to be, you know, calm, proper. He looked like a scholar. Now he looks more like a rag, rigid, raggy, evil person. So that can also be seen as um like symbolism or the embodiment of their ascending ranks because even though Hester they describe her as not being as um uh, bright or beautiful anymore she still has this stoic stature-like beautiful appearance and how she holds herself She's still beautiful. It's not the beauty that she once held, but it's like it's a more mature beauty. It's not resilient or like, oh, look at me, I'm beautiful like it used to be. Because, you know, the scarlet leather, the emblem has fallen off a bit, but it it's like a wine, you know, because the a wine, a wine's not particularly beautiful but it has aged and the more it ages the more mature in quote in in quotes mature it gets and the more expensive it is right and and yeah it's it has more value to it so we're going to think of hester as a fine wine while i don't know uh let's say roger chillingsworth is more of a banana right a banana he, he it's it's a nice yellow banana at first and then it just becomes brown brown and mushy and nobody nobody likes a mushy banana unless you want to make banana bread but there there's a point where your banana is like black and it's not even like funny anymore it's like actually disgusting so that's roger chillingsworth right and she the end the so she detects that okay roger you are evil right essentially that in in simple forms she has detected that and she decides that she's gonna help the man she loves because i don't believe hester would have done what she did if she did not love or she if she wasn't in love with mr dimsdale and seeing him in these conditions obviously hurt her heart because she's obviously gonna act she's gonna do something about it and the chapter ends with her deciding that she is going to do something about it. She's going to meet her former husband and do what might be in her power for the rescue of the victim on whom he had so evidently set his gripe. Because she caught on that he knows, okay? He's just, it's just, you can see on his face. So she's going to confront him. And she, and the chapter ends in... Uh, in a cliffhanger essentially where it says that one afternoon they she finds him and he's you know uh looking for roots and herbs 
and that's how the chapter ends so it's a cliffhanger so i can't really say anything about it but i feel that the confrontation is going to be quite the confrontation because as i said hester has matured into a fine wine while he has rotten like a ugly a brown banana so we're gonna we're gonna see how that plays out which is very interesting i'm very look i'm looking forward to it and yeah that was chapter 13 i will see you real soon